Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 30th episode of Punch Card Investing. We made it to 30 weeks of this, guys. This is pretty pretty awesome. We're down to Brad today, unfortunately, but he'll be back next week. Uh, stay tuned for that. You might notice that we're possibly doing this at a different time for you because of daylight savings in the U.S., and I know we have a large U.S. audience, so uh, that is why we're at a different time today because uh, we may have some issues coming up with uh, keeping everyone at our usual time, uh, wherever that is for you. Um, because of a, uh, every country does their own sort of thing with clocks and that's no fun. But anyways, uh, we'll try to keep it around either this, either this time or an hour later from now for the up- upcoming weeks, just a heads up there. Uh, but anyways, we got a lot of stuff to get to here. We really wanted to talk about Facebook and all the news with, me- with the metaverse and, and their shift to meta. We kind of skipped over it last week, even though that's really when it was announced, um, since there might be some very interesting opportunities there, Facebook obviously is throwing off a bunch of cash and a really great business. But um, we obviously just had this brand new news with Monish Prabhai and his massive portfolio shifts, including selling off a huge stake in Alibaba, which is uh, uh, after just buying into it pretty much. So that uh, we're definitely going to get to that. But uh, we were kind of talking before the show, we think we probably should talk about Facebook first, just so we can actually make sure we hit all the stuff we want to talk about there before we dive into all these details with um, mainly Monish Parai and selling off Baba and, and the other shifts in this portfolio too. So if you guys are okay with that, just stick around. We'll get to all those issues. And if you have questions in the meantime, always hit that chat. I see we have a pretty lively group already uh, before we even started the show. So uh, great to see that. And I guess before we get into anything, be sure to smash that uh, like button Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss future updates and uh, check out all the goodies in the description as well. Anyways, guys, let's uh, let's talk about Facebook or Meta as it's called uh, before we jump into Bri. Uh, Frank, I know you did some pretty recent uh, content on Facebook and kind of the shift towards the metaverse and your initial thoughts on the thesis. I don't know if you want to kind of explain that and kind of what you see or your kind of perspective on on the new shift. Yeah, I've, I haven't done a deep dive on Facebook ever. It's kind of been one of those companies that are obviously one of the best companies in the world. They've been doing well for a long time. But this shift is kind of what's intrigued me, um, the shift being to the metaverse. And there's been a huge amount of CapEx spend that's going to be dedicated towards that, as well as operating expenses. Their margins are likely to decline. So you really need to, to kind of believe in this metaverse, which is Difficult to do because it's hard to even imagine what it's going to look like, what kind of profits it's going to bring in. It's really a bet on uh, Mark Zuckerberg's ability to allocate capital. I haven't gone through the history. Um, the first one that jumps to my mind is he seemed to overpay for Instagram, but that clearly didn't turn out to be the case. It turned out to be a great bet. So assuming he can continue to pull off something like that, and he does so with the metaverse, this is probably a great inflection point. Um but it's going to go one way or the other. I don't see it kind of just playing out uh, smooth sailing as it has in the past. They're really dedicating towards this, even the brand shift towards Meta, um, and it's a huge cost kind of sinking into it. So I'll probably lean towards the side that it does work out for them, um, but that's from very surface-level research. What do you guys think? It's weird because... um it's like a shift away from their bread and butter, which is advertising revenue, essentially, and data, um, or is it? I, I think the real problem here is defining what the metaverse really is 
because you know they've every, now every company seems to call themselves a, a meta metaverse company of some sort now, even when they were never thinking about it before. Um, because I think uh, it's kind of a semantic game right now. I think Facebook's probably more serious about kind of the the VR sort of aspect of things with like Oculus Rift and all that stuff and incorporating that in somehow. Because um, there are definitely lots of opportunities there, especially as you get the rise of things like 5G and more internet capabilities like that. I think that'll be a nice sort of synergy with things like the metaverse and VR and that stuff that requires a lot of data uh, like um like internet power to really run efficiently. Uh, it, but I, I, and it does have me worried from a valuation perspective because it seems like people are factoring in their current margins for the long term. And because even though you can make an argument that it's fairly valued right now, even as like a traditional sort of value investor um, because of how high their margins have been and how much cash they throw off. But if you see those margins shrink, even as revenue continues to grow, uh, that could be a bit of a turnoff uh, if people are really projecting in high, high, high growth in everything while maintaining those hefty margins. Because this is a different business than just straight up advertising. I think one thing that's almost concerning too is it might be a forced bet that they're making here because there's really two aspects to the business. There's what they call the family of apps, which is the Facebooks, Instagram, WhatsApp, um, there might be another big one I'm missing, but essentially that's all it is. It's an advertising platform. That's what they've been this whole time up to this point. And they've kind of been dabbling into, I think they call it Facebook Reality Labs, which is the Oculus VR, augmented reality, all of that stuff. And really that's what they want to grow. That's what the metaverse is going to come out of. Um, I think they're forced into this bet of Facebook Reality Labs because they can't really grow their daily or monthly active users anymore with their their apps. Um, maybe in other parts like Asia and other parts of the world outside of the US and Europe, they could probably increase their kind of revenue per user, but they've reached about 4 billion or something crazy. I don't know the exact number, but 4 billion users on their platform. So that's over half the world. What was that? Almost three, almost three, like two point eight five billion. Yeah, That's okay. what so yeah, three billion, four billion, you know, whatever. <laughs> Seven billion <laughs> people. Regardless, yeah. it's some ridiculous number that cannot really grow much more. Their only hope would be to increase again the revenue per user on those apps, which I'm sure they can do, but the growth cannot continue from the thirty and forty percent numbers they've been putting up for the last ten years or whatever it's been. Um, so I guess they're kind of forced to shift into something else that can bring in more revenue. Um, and again, I'm leaning towards they probably do pull this off, at least to some extent. Um, but yeah, you really have to have faith in the ability to, well, Zuck's capital allocation ability. Yeah, and you're um, you're very much like along for the ride with this thing. It's interesting. I, I don't know off the top of my head the percentages, but um, Facebook has some interesting kind of voting right structures with their shares as well, where Zuckerberg, you know, still has a big chunk of the company, but I think he's got like fifty percent voting rights or sixty percent voting rights or something. So yeah, you're sort of just along for the ride with with whatever Zuckerberg wants to do. And the way I've always sort of thought about Facebook is the the underlying business is just spectacular. Like um, they have no debt. They basically print cash. <laughs> you know, they spent a bunch of money um, on basically trying to tighten up their sort of security systems and so on a couple of years ago when the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal um, sort of happened. Uh, and then you've sort of always had like 
you know, the Oculus and virtual reality kind of in there is maybe like a free option. But like Frank says, they're now putting a huge amount of money towards CapEx in that department. And we really don't know exactly how much that's going to pay off. It's crazy to see how much the revenue has grown. Even like even what what Frank was saying about how like they haven't necessarily reached reached a like critical mass of people, but at a certain point, there's only so many accounts you could possibly have open because there's only so many people out there. Um, if they've continued to even in just the last couple of years, they've continued to grow revenues pretty substantially, um, despite kind of being towards that more mature side of like the the ads business, which is really what a lot of this is. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, it makes me wonder if uh, the, the whole metaverse side, whatever it turns into, will it be kind of like a like an AWS is for Amazon now, where you have like the backbone that's a lot lower margin business with e-commerce. So it's not it's definitely not apples to apples, but in the same sort of way that their growth engine is really AWS and their sort of tertiary businesses, not so much the uh, e-commerce kind of backbone uh, that 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 it started from the, the spawner framework, if we will, while we're talking about money for right. Right. Um, that, that's where it, it, that's where it gets interesting. If that, if this really blows up into something that we can't really imagine right now in the same way that I'm sure AWS did, he probably wouldn't have really understood what the capabilities of that were when it first came out. It might be something like that. And that's where it can get really interesting, but the risks yeah. are high too. So, yeah, I've just um, I've just shared my screen from Facebook's latest earning presentation. I'm not sure if you want to share yes, that, sir. Jack. But um, this shows their monthly active users, and this is kind of like Facebook is a, or at least their advertising side of the business is relatively straightforward. Like Frank mentioned, they've got um, you know growing monthly and daily active users. They're kind of, I think they're pretty much tapped out. If you look at like US and Canada, it's more or less flat now. And they've still got some parts of the world growing. Um, but then the other kind of driver th- for the business is this slide, which shows average revenue per user. And they've sort of had like a spanner thrown in the works recently with some changes from Apple as well. I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with that. Um, but, you know, Facebook is super attractive from an advertising perspective if you've got a small business or something, because you can be very, very targeted about who sees your ads, like what age group, um, you know, what part of the world they're in, what interests people have, all sorts of crazy stuff. And Apple have made some changes now to where Facebook, you know, can't capture as much of that data unless you kind of opt into it. So that makes the advertising platform a little bit um, less attractive as well. So, um, it's going to be really interesting to see what the average average revenue per user, I guess, is what I'm getting at, kind of does over the, over time with those changes as well. I I don't think we really know what the full impact of that's going to be. Well, I'd have to think what would cause it to go down. Um, sure, maybe the data is less precise now, but what's the alternative? And if every other platform can't do it either, are they really losing? Um, unless people just stop using Facebook or any of their uh, subsidiary apps. Uh, cold turkey i mean are they really losing out another one of their problems that is well known and kind of being addressed by facebook is that they're kind of getting towards an older user base young people aren't really using these apps so i guess over time as that kind of phases out really only instagram is what's doing well with the younger audience yeah i was gonna push Um, back there but even that's competing with a tiktok and there's always room for a new platform i used to think that there really wasn't but tiktok kind of showed that Something can come along and kind of compete pretty quickly. So with the younger audience particularly, I think it's 
going to be a problem for them. Facebook certainly is a much larger, uh, much older audience. It's only really Instagram that's keeping keeping them kind of popular with a young audience. Well, I wonder with that, because um, there's always there's always a leader, obviously, um, and it, it wasn't always Facebook. But because because they're so huge and have so much money now, they, they I mean, they acquired Instagram as a competitor. Uh, they've acquired WhatsApp. I'm not saying they're going to go acquire TikTok. It's probably well past that point of being feasible. Um, but antitrust, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is that is one of the larger risks, depending on how you want to weigh that with Facebook and many of the big tech firms. It's that uh, they're too big, you know, or whatever. However, the government decides to define that, um, that is a threat. But uh, they have that ability to pivot just because of their sheer size and the amount of money they have, and because it's such a low capital business it's data that's they can transfer pretty i'd assume pretty easily um getting around privacy laws of course but uh i think what i'm trying to say is like just because you can form your own social media company at any time it's very hard to get past that kind of barrier of not only just making a lot of money but also having a large pool of data especially in an environment where uh Apple, for example, and other companies and the government are kind of frowning upon collecting data without telling people or without uh, giving them more optionality to not do that. Uh, so that would make it harder for competition to come in and, and compete with something like Facebook that already has years of data that even if they stop collecting now, I'm sure they still have plenty that they can kind of massage into something useful uh, with new users, even if they don't provide any new data uh, anytime soon. They've been working I on this metaverse stuff for the last seven years now, right? You go ahead, They've been working on metaverse for the last seven years now, haven't they? They, they got Oculus seven, eight years ago, isn't it? I, think I guess that's right. about when they... Sorry, Tom. Go ahead. You're on big leg, <laughs> Frank. You go. Yeah, Frank's lagging <laughs> yeah, a, a bit. bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's when they bought Oculus or somewhere around that time period, but I don't think it was necessarily a focus on Metaverse since then. I think that's a more recent concept, at least as far as I know. He's actually mentioned it. So there was a recent interview with uh, Gary Vee and Mark for like half an hour or something, and they talk about everything related to the Metaverse and starting early, and then they had the seven-year lead. And what Mark had mentioned is that it's more about control. So right now, um, they've got to build apps according to the smartphone ecosystem. So they can't really control the hardware that's being used. So I think that's what they're trying to do. So in the next uh, iteration of what the smartphone will be, they want to build other metaverse so that they control not only the software aspect of it, but they also control the hardware that people are using to get onto the metaverse. So it's more about control, I think, moving forward for Facebook. One of the main pushbacks, I guess, on the metaverse that I've kind of come across since kind of looking at it um, is people wanting it to be more of this decentralized kind of moving away from the big organizations with um, kind of crypto and all those things kind of being factored in and Web3 and everything else. But um, other than that, you're right, they do have kind of, you could call it a moat with the virtuality, the Oculus and the hardware behind it that they do need. But um, I'll be interested to see how much of this could be a decentralized movement rather than something pushed by Facebook. I think um, with some of the concerns around privacy and everything else that Facebook has had, that's probably my main concern about whether they can pull off 
pull off the metaverse, but um, yeah, that's just one little pushback, I guess. Yeah, and it's hard. To, I think this is part of the problem of like we're going into like an unknown space. It's like, is there is it going to be that there's like a Facebook metaverse and an Apple metaverse and a whatever company metaverse, or is it going to be more like the internet where you know everyone's kind of sharing a, a similar space with many different subspaces within it? That's where it's kind of hard to imagine. The way I, I conceptually think of it, I think of it as like each company is going to have their own kind of thing. And then maybe there'll be a more decentralized one um, elsewhere that won't have as many like Facebook specific capabilities or, or whatever company you want to insert. Um, but it, I, I, I'm totally like hypothesizing. It's hard to really say. Is anything on Patreon? Like the Matrix? Like this entire <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I've seen a lot of comparisons to, to Wally where. Uh, like the f- future of civilization, everyone's on the ship and they're just like playing. They're just, they just have the screen directly in front of their face and they're all like super overweight and <laughs> no one moves out of their floating chairs, like that sort of thing. I think that would be Mark, more likely. <laughs> yeah, Mark's going to get us to plug into the system, you know, with the pin at the back. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. more of an, I think that's more Elon. <laughs> that's what Elon wants, right? It does oh, feel more Elon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Elon wants to put whatever in your brain to make you more efficient or whatever. <laughs> so we can like do echolocate guys, with each other. Do you guys have any feel whatsoever for like, I mean, it's, it seems like the metaverse seems like such an abstract thing to me, at least that I have absolutely no clue how to <laughs> figure out how to even remotely kind of factor that into a Facebook valuation. I felt like Facebook was one of these companies that was actually a, pretty straightforward exercise to try calculate yeah. intrinsic value for it. It's like, you know, we think monthly active users might grow at this rate. We think uh, average revenue per user might grow at this rate. And then we can kind of look at the trajectory with what the costs have done over time. And they've got no debt and it's kind of a straightforward equation. <laughs> this is a big kind of um, thing out of left field for me that I, I really don't know how to, like, I don't know before this news whether I would, yeah, I don't know whether I would, value facebook more highly now after this news or less highly just because there's more uncertainty i really don't know how to how to think about it i think before this um like if you just don't factor in the metaverse at all and you're kind of comparing it to some of the larger companies the googles apples amazons all those businesses it's certainly on a multiple basis the cheapest um the growth projections by analysts and everything else is higher than other the other big five kind of companies i guess there is um then argentina ebitda EBITDA multiples lower like that's just one simple way to look at it i guess but now that this is factored in i think it's a yeah a lot more uncertainty and you really don't know what's going to happen which makes it a lot harder to value but yeah again that's just the bet on zuckerberg at the moment that he's going to pull this off but i personally have no idea what the metaverse looks like Two things that I think of straight away is the book Ready Player One, which is a great book. It's pretty much the only thing I can imagine. Or Grand Theft Auto, which is just a video game that I picture everyone <laughs> plugging in some kind of VR Grand Theft Auto. But It might start no as one idea. or the other and kind of morph into the other, something like that. I would picture more like a yeah, create your own character sort of thing at first, and then it might morph into more like uh, something maybe that's less conceptually easy to understand now because we just haven't seen it yet um but i think to what you were saying earlier frank about capex expanding because you could see how steady their capex has been and plenty of cash from operations if you put these together it's 
free cash flow. Um, so this obviously there's a ton of cash flow minus this blip here during 2020 when their ad revenues were down when everyone um, hungered down for a while. Uh, Would you mind just making that annual and stretching it out a bit, Jack? Yeah, let's see. Annual. I was in quarterly for revenue. Um, here, I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, uh, and for context, they kind of said in their earnings, I think the number was 32, maybe 34 billion in capex, um, kind of going forward, which is all going, well, largely going towards uh, the metaverse and Facebook reality labs. But I don't know the usual capex, so I don't really know how there much you go. increase that is. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. So what's I that mean, most recent would... capex? So, so for 2020, it was 15 billion. Compared to thirty-eight billion, so mm-hmm. plenty of free cash flow on top. Um, so, if, so wait, you said they they planned on adding how much? Thirty-four billion, but I don't know if that was over it's one, probably two, over. three years. It's, yeah, it's, it might yeah, be over a longer time period. Got to be. So, how much how much revenue could you really expect from this operation, and how would they do it? Would it just be ads being shown in front of you? Would it be selling products in this universe? In in essence, creating like software sales. Um, would it be like a membership in this universe? I did listen to a pretty interesting interview with, um, I'm blanking on his name. He has a pretty big podcast anyway, but they had kind of some expert on tech and he was talking about the metaverse. And the way he kind of described it was like an augmented reality kind of laid over the top of the earth. So there's this kind of virtual space that is exactly the earth and a some kind of like business could plug in and you could visit that place in virtual reality and there'll be some kind of fee attributed to the people that create this augmented reality that's overlaid the world. I don't know if I described that really bad or not, but in my head it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it'd be pretty sick if we could like um, if, if the punch card live streams were coming from some sort of virtual world, like we were all in Grand Theft Auto driving around talking about <laughs> understanding. The people oh. of the chat were like, out there as well. <laughs> yeah, you, you combine like Clubhouse and, and, and like live streaming, but it's a like Clubhouse, but you're in like a world and, and you can call people up to talk to them. That would be kind of neat. We're just um, all virtually sitting on the stage and we have a big yeah. theater in front of us full of our audience <laughs> live. Yeah. Yeah, the, thing, the thing about that is like, yeah, that sounds cool, but I wouldn't want it to replace uh uh, yep. Like you know, normal shows are going to going to see like something live. Uh, Burma, in, Burma. Not everything has to be so immersive. <laughs> like, okay, Burma. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Exactly. I think people would be happier not looking at us. Like they would rather listen to us, even now. <laughs> yeah, probably. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. They might start. They might start throwing virtual tomatoes at us on the stage. That actually be kind of hilarious. Um, yeah, tomato. Uh, uh, like ban them for uh, bringing in certain certain things. <laughs> like, can you set rules and like what you can throw on the stage? We could have a virtual security guard drag them out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we have a bunch of massive virtual bouncers. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, maybe before we move on to Pabrai, because the people are itching for it, uh, and and we are too. Um, is this sort of like? I don't want to call it a free lottery ticket because they're throwing 34 billion or whatever they're going to throw into it. But compared to their cash flows, revenues, it's, I don't want to say a drop in the bucket because it's not, but they can make up this expense fairly quickly on at current levels. If nothing else changes, they don't grow at all. Is it, it seems like it's 
might be worth the risk. Is maybe is this the best thing they could throw that 34, 34 billion towards? Maybe at this scale it is. Um, I, I don't know if I want to look at it like a free lottery ticket though, because it is a significant expense and they could keep sinking more money in after that and good money after bad, that sort of thing. How do you guys look at yeah. that? I I view it more like a big acquisition, I would say, than a free lottery yeah. ticket. It's it's almost like they're allocating a bunch of capital to a new business. Um and it's like uh, it's like they've paid a bunch of money for a startup almost. Like we don't have a feel for <laughs> how much sure. cash might actually come back from this big investment. So uh, I I used to view Oculus and virtual reality at Facebook as kind of a free lottery ticket, but yeah. I probably don't anymore, honestly. Well, I think while the ads business was still growing at really high rates, and to give it credit, I think they did 30% growth year over year. So it is still yeah. kind of growing at high rates. But moving forward, that's that has to slow down at some point, which means it's less of a free lottery ticket than it was five years ago um, when we kind of knew the forward growth was going to be very impressive. Yeah, and and they're sort of doing the opposite of what you'd expect many software businesses to do as they scale, which is kind of expand margins and get some <laughs> yeah. you know, positive kind of operational leverage. Like they're scaling their, they're scaling their expenses faster than their revenue which is interesting but that's uh that's data i guess once you um once once you get like past that like critical mass of data you can like really scale it in, in a way that people without that same amount of data can't so it i don't want to say it's runaway but uh, if you take a look at something like google similar position where they have all this data it's going to be extremely hard huge uphill battle to catch up with that and there's not much you can do about it because they have the data and until you get it, it's you're, you're going to be chasing. Mm. You know, we'll know if this is a good idea if we see Microsoft cloning what Facebook <laughs> is planning on doing. <laughs> like in the next two years, we'll see Microsoft announce, oh, we've got Metaverse. Exactly. The same way they cloned uh, AWS. Yeah. The one but, other thing that we didn't talk about that come out of these earnings was they incre- increase their buybacks to f- of $50 billion. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which yeah. is pretty insane so they're obviously going to see their margins hurt which might slow down the earnings growth but on earnings per share with those buybacks maybe we see some pretty good eps growth i totally forgot about that it's amazing how it overshadowed this massive buyback buyback (laughs) program um and that's like a full year of uh or not a full year but that's like their whole cash balance right now or approximately i forget where it's at now but at the end of 2020 it was at uh like 18 billion um I'm pretty sure it's higher than that now, but still, it's a lot of that's a lot of cash to throw at it. Mm. I've been watching Uncle Warren. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, you just put out that video that that's his biggest investment of all time, which is a yeah. funny way to put it because it, it really is yeah. massive Berkshire buybacks. Yeah. So is it? So is Facebook going in the punch card portfolio, guys? Oh yeah, should, we, should we, we should, should vote. We, vote? we should vote. Uh, I, I don't know if I like it enough at current prices. If, so are we, we going to vote, like four, all four of us vote, and then we need to get Brad's before? Yeah, we'll have to get Brad's by proxy unless uh, unless we... Well, if, if two of us say yes, we'll have to talk to Brad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know. I'm, oh. it's, it's, on the, it's on my watch list for sure, but it, it, they're already such a huge company, and I just don't know how much... Is anyone invested in Facebook right now? That, that's an I, obvious... I have idea. a tiny bit that, uh, that I carried over from long ago <laughs> but it, it's okay. it's a very it's so like less other investor in it right now 
yeah, nothing significant. Good. I'll start off with I, my vote and say, looking at the positions in the Punch Cup portfolio, I would add Facebook. So I'd vote yes. Ooh, spicy. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so we got one yes. <laughs> and I don't own it, so I wouldn't actually buy it at current prices, <laughs> but relative to the portfolio we have right now, I would add it. That's fair. So what don't you like? <laughs> yeah. Frank's not a I'm fan not, of I'm the not Punch Cup names. I'm not naming names. I'm not naming names. Oh, come on. Um, there's there's two in there that I would put this above Um, what do you think I'm not sure that that sounds like no to me (laughs) can't sit on the fence I just don't like the idea of metaverse and like the fact that you know it's pushing people to go more online and more into Facebook's ecosystem. But I don't think know. Think of the dollars. Think of the, do- the dollars. <laughs> I clearly don't care about dollars because I'm investing in heritage. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. So, light that I, stuff I, on fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say no. Um, I, I, like what we said earlier, like it's a fantastic company with, it's probably still going to do fine, but I'd rather have it come down in price a good bit more before I would I would take a big swing at Facebook. And we had that opportunity in March of last year uh, to really get a at a super de- steep discount, um, and they've gone on a tear since then. So we'll see if we get another opportunity in the near future with this new sort of catalyst potentially. I'm a vote no. That's my long winded way. Why the boys decide, Jack? Can you pull up the punch card portfolio just so new audience members? Oh can yeah, see what we do hold. Uh, Tom, you mind doing that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not logged in. You're sick. <laughs> so, um, so for people yeah. listening, I guess we're managing a theoretical 1 million or 100,000? 1 million, isn't it? 1 million. Yes. So we have five positions, all five of us made one bet at 20% of the portfolio and we're kind of tracking it over time. We each vote on a new position and if we need to sell something, the audience gets to vote it out. Yep. So we have two no's. If we get a third no, it's it's official. So Tom, Who's the two no's? Who else said no? Kron uh, said no. Kron did a roundabout It's no. a good investment, but I just cannot be invested in a company. Like, I don't know. I'm just not for Facebook. Oh, it's a, it's a moral issue. Ooh. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, All right, what do we some... got? <clears throat> um, all right. So bear in mind, it's been like two weeks since we made this portfolio. So don't don't change our performance. <laughs> Massive but, um, divergence. Our, our million dollars is now a, a million and two thousand. Hey, that, that's the way, guys. That's the way. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, and this that's is uh, this is punch card versus the index. Want want. <laughs> um, and yeah, current positions. So uh, they're all twenty percent at cost. Alibaba, Turtle Beach, Kelly Partners, Process, and Seritage. And this is current performance so far. Obviously, it's been very short term. Look at look um, at Kelly Partners running away sorry. with it already. <laughs> KPG is carrying the entire portfolio. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's got a currency loss of two point four as well. Yeah, it's pulling yeah. through, pulling the dead weight. <laughs> multiple Damn Australian dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, cool. so that's on share site. We got our link in the description below. If you guys want to check that out, that's what the software is. It's a nice, nice, clean tracking system. Um, and, and it does currency conversions, as you can see as well, to 
see what your currency loss or gain is as well. Uh, so it's a nice mm-hmm. tidy package. If you use our link in the description, you uh, and you sign up for an annual like pro membership for one year, you get four months free using our link. So definitely check that out. It helps the channel out too. And we'd very much appreciate that. Um, there's also a free version as well that you can sign up with if you want to check it out. Cool. Uh, all right. With that said, right. any any last last vote? last thoughts? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We still have to vote. Remember, um, relative to the positions in the portfolio. Not that is, just this is, this is that is a big point here. Yeah, relative it, to the positions, the portfolio, it is. That's, you know. It is. Boy, and my vote was clear before you said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say no. Um, Facebook is one that's not in my portfolio, but should be. I just flat out missed it in March last year. Um, it's one that was on the watch list and I had down valuations on, but it sort of hit margin of safety price so briefly that I just fully missed it. Should have had some, should have had some limit orders in there or something, but oh, well. um, you get yeah. thousands uh, of pitches every day. You don't have to yeah. swing it. There's always going to be another opportunity. Yeah. yeah. If the price was different for Facebook, uh, I would be very tempted. Um, I guess the, the main position in the portfolio currently, if we put it in that perspective, that I just don't know enough about to make a good call on, that's why I'm voting no, is, is Turtle Beach. I know the other ones pretty well, but I probably need to do more work on, on Turtle Beach just to get comfortable with that position before I the, say that we should get rid of something. The like Turtle, Beach, the also, T- Turtle well. Beach also started their massive buyback program <laughs> recently. <laughs> <laughs> they bought so back like, five bucks? Yeah. yeah. They, they bought back, um, well, Net, they they it was like less than one percent of their shares they bought back, but uh, but so, it's something after issuing quite a few shares over the last decade. So, anyways, mm-hmm. um, yeah. All right. So, so if sure. the price was different, I'd, I'd say yes, but it's a no yeah. for me. So we we don't need to consult Brad. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm on my own. I, I I feel like Brad would be in a similar spot though, um, because I feel like yeah. he'd be he'd be in it. But then again, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll ask him next time, Brad. What would you have done? <laughs> Put him on the spot. He's he's in Turkey again, uh, dealing with with his uh with his uh, his contacts over there. Hey guys, I think we're at an all time high on concurrent viewers on the stream. We're at a uh, ninety, which I don't think we've to hit before. Yeah, the the channel is going to the moon, and I think now now this is a moment that everyone's really been waiting for, which is the fresh <laughs> news that Monish Pabrai sold off a bunch of positions, and I think only sold. No, he did add to races. Um, and Micron a little bit too. I'm gonna pull up ticker. He's going here. all into real estate. He's going all into heritage and races. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why Brad's in Turkey again because he saw this news and he booked the next flight out. So uh, yeah, that that's that's he's checking out some more races again. Um, yeah, look at all this action. Um, yeah, we we might have to talk through some of the nuances of these things, Jack, um, because there's a lot of different dates on some of these holding updates. So. Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, obviously, Monish Pabrai files are 13F in the US, which tells us his US portfolio positions quarterly. Oh, real uh, quick, is, we'll, we'll, oh, yeah. do our thir- we'll do our uh, quarterly 13F video next week. If you guys stay tuned for that, we'll take a look at all the, the super investors that we'd like to follow and see what they did over, over, the, uh, over the 
the, the last quarter. Um, this will be kind of like a sneak peek for for one that just happened with uh, Monish Prabhai. But go on, Tom. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, so so we get all the 13F updates. So we just had one for um, giving us data up to the end of September uh, for Monish Prabhai, and that's where we saw that he sold out of Alibaba. Um, but Ticker will also pick up any other filings that happen around the world. So you'll see there's like trade reports in Japan, 5% filings and stuff in there. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get updated all the time. Um, I guess if he made a change, I assume we would see updates for some of those things. Uh, and it's also not going to pick up every position. So I think we were talking in our group chat just this morning about whether, uh, you know, NASPERS or um, process might turn up in here. And I just don't think much bright quite has the scale to trigger any of those shareholder reports with um, those non-US positions. So those are things to keep in mind. But what I was going to say is maybe we should just list this or sort by by date might be a good idea. On yeah, this as that well. is a good idea actually. Uh, but to what Tom was saying, it's it's an incomplete picture, uh, but yeah. certainly some interesting nuggets to pull out. Regardless, yeah, maybe just flip that the other way around. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah so lots of action. And just to touch on the seventy-seven percent sale in Alibaba, that's probably going to turn to one hundred percent. I would say this is a recent sell, and he's exiting the position. But um, there'd be no reason he would trim it so much and leave a, what is it, 2% position in the portfolio. I would say he's about to exit the rest of the position. That's speculating, but um, I'm pretty sure that would be the case. Yeah, it would be kind of weird otherwise. Mm. He hasn't sold yeah, out of anything at 100%. So that must also be something true. else. He could just leave it to a small position where it doesn't um, kind of move the portfolio. But, um, mm. yeah, we don't really know what he's doing or where he's moved that capital, but... I would be surprised if he just sold it and did nothing. Um, I'm kind of curious to see if we find out if he did invest in kind of Tencent or process of one of those other aspects to kind of reach that position or something else that we might not know about at all and he hasn't really been public and talking about. But Some I couldn't holding. see him just taking... <laughs> Venture what capital. Was <laughs> what was Alibaba earlier? About 10% of the portfolio or so? 12%. Yeah. 12%, yeah. So I couldn't see him taking out that much from a position and just keep it in cash. So I'm curious to see kind of what happens moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm sort of wondering, like there's obviously the, the fact that maybe he sold it to buy something else, like one of the kind of three 10 cent options, like the NASPERS straight up 10 cent in process. Um, but he sold a bunch of stuff. I wonder if he's maybe even had a big redemption or something like that out of his fund. Sounds like a redemption. Yeah. Either redemption or, Tax purposes, maybe. Yeah, we were speculating on uh, tax loss harvesting in the U.S. at least, um, where you sell something at a, at a gain and sell something else at a loss. Alibaba has obviously had a pretty big loss since we assume he started the position, so um, mm. it could be kind of cycling there to raise your cost basis on something else. It's hard to say exactly again because it's an incomplete picture, but that, that could yeah, be I as mean well. Yeah, one he's one he's just sold with the same dates there, you know, end of September as Rain Industries, mm -hmm. which is a pretty substantial position for him, or at least it was before these sales. And that's one that he does have a big capital gain on. So I don't know if he's trying to offset it with Barber or something. I, but. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but then the question would be, is he going to rotate this right back into Alibaba? That'd be kind of weird, but he might do it uh, if he's really. But in that case, you'd be not into Alibaba, back into Rain, uh, because you'd be. Uh, raising your cost basis there if that's if this is really what he's trying to do i don't know if that's what he is trying to do 
or maybe he's scared of a uh, tax policy that might be coming down the pipeline in the U S for capital gains. Who knows? Yeah. I did just see in the chat, lazy investor when we're talking about how many people are watching, which is now up to 95 people watching. Yeah. Only 19 likes at the time, lazy investor said. So, oh no, come on. Do us a favor. Let's uh, tickle that like button real quick. Make it turn blue. (laughs) Tickle it. (laughs) Tickle the like button. Yeah. Let's get, we should have at least 97. Are we going to break 100 for the first time, boys? Oh, yeah. Something. 98 on my phone at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's getting aggressive. People are really curious about Moni Share. Yeah, share the stream, guys. Share yeah. it with your brothers, Family, cousins, mothers. friends, <laughs> <laughs> not friends, strangers. Enemies. Yeah. So one question I've got for you guys, I guess, knowing that Moni Shabriya has sold out of Alibaba, how does that change your kind of conviction? Does it at all? Is it something you'll consider trimming, selling? How do you think about it now? I've I've actually been adding a bit to it. Um, I've been adding around like the 160s where it's been kind of hovering. Uh, And it's now, uh, what percent of the portfolio now? It's probably like 3 or 4%. Um, So getting more significant by by the week pretty much, as long as it stays kind of down here. I'm almost like dollar cost averaging into it, I guess. but I, I'm getting close to kind of where I'd want to leave it uh, as like an allocation of the portfolio, just given the more systemic risks with China and, and the VIE structure that make me a little bit nervous. Granted, there mm-hmm. does seem to be a pretty clearly good business behind it. Yeah. I one, like what one of the other. <laughs> I'll sell when Charlie sells. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. Charlie will never yeah. sell. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's actually an interesting point. Um, we got Daily Journal Corporation's 13F really early. So it's actually the same quarter that we're looking at where <clears throat> where Munger added 80-something percent or whatever it was and uh, Monish has sold a bunch. So it's like, which super investor do you want to copy? Or do you land in the middle and do a guy spear and do nothing? You've got three different super investors who've done three different things. Guy spear is the, in the same quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a daily journal. As you can see, the large ad, which makes sense if you're bullish and you just bought at a higher uh, price, much higher price. Why not take another swing at a lower price? One would one would mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Does it change anything for you, Karan? Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same position. Like, I will say this surprised the hell out of me. I did not expect to see a minor price sale when I woke up this morning. But um, I don't think anyone really uh, did. <laughs> Yeah, but but it's like um, it's like we've talked about with cloning forever. Um, you know, it's one thing to clone the idea; it's another thing to clone the conviction. And I think most of us, um, maybe Brad thinks about it a little differently. Uh, it'd be good to get his perspective on this. But I think most of us, at least, aren't necessarily just blindly cloning. We're we're using it as an idea source, and, and we're kind of doing our own work on it. Yep. And uh, that's really important for when you get into positions like this, where suddenly someone sold it at presumably like a 20 or 30% loss or something. Um, and you're kind of just going to be sitting there not not knowing what to do if you haven't done the work on it. If Pabrai sold Seritage, that would shake me a little bit because he owns like a good chunk of the company and he probably has better insights than I do sitting 
so further away from the company. Like he actually has talked to management. If that's the company we're setting out of, that would shake my conviction a little bit. But with Baba, it really doesn't change anything. Yeah, I guess this is kind of my pushback against cloning, uh, or I guess the kind of more hardcore cloning where you just buy whatever a super investor buys without doing your own due diligence. Um, yeah, like kind of agreeing with and backing up what Tom said, you just really need to know your position and have your own conviction. And so when something like this happens, you're kind of like the four of us where it's surprising, but you're rather unfazed about your own position. Um and I know some people maybe watching us maybe are more strict cloners. So I guess that's kind of maybe a reason to start building your own conviction in stock so you can decide when you sell, not just do what someone else is doing. And that and yeah, everyone's situation is different, obviously. And these guys are playing at a much different level than I would say all of the people I'd imagine here. Uh, if you're a large fund manager, definitely let me know in, in the in the chat. Um, but it's they have a very different set of incentives. It's not necessarily all of their own money. They're dealing with other people's money. I assume in pretty much every case, <laughs> at least of all the super investors we find, I don't think it's all family money. Um, so that, that you have different considerations there, different universe of opportunities, among many other different things. Risk tolerance, of course, and to what Tom said, you can't really clone conviction. It's it's really beauty in the eye of the beholder, ultimately. You Tom, just had a... Oh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say we had a comment from... Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Uh, Jaromir, maybe, about SoftBank. I did have a, a reply to one of my tweets. I went that um, maybe he's decided to do the NASPERS process thing and buy SoftBank instead of Alibaba. <laughs> but um, I don't know if I quite buy into that one. I, I think I brought that up last week or a couple of weeks ago that SoftBank isn't as much pure barber exposure as like process and NASPERS out of ten cent, right? Yeah, I mean. But it's a it's a different basket, though. I think is what we're really saying um, when we're talking about SoftBank versus Naspers. Yeah, but I mean, when you buy Naspers, it's like eighty percent ten cent. Whereas if you buy SoftBank, I don't know the numbers, but it might be fifty percent Alibaba. Right. From memory, I think it's about forty percent of net asset value. But yeah, that was a while ago, so I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. They're too busy like dumping the proceeds from Alibaba into very profitable enterprises like WeWork. So, <laughs> shots. Um, so yeah, this is all the super investors we've got so far for this same quarter, just to kind of put things into perspective. So for Alibaba specifically, a, for, for Alibaba specifically, sorry, yeah. So a bit of a and map there are other of, funds um, that are not here sales. also, like yeah, the fund that's put like fifty percent of the capital into Alibaba and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it takes some kahunas. I love just this guy's fear. Like, yep, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> Forgot to go to work that quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Every quarter, <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I don't know if I have manga style. Don't have much more to really add on this, but I, I don't think it changes how I think about Alibaba too much personally. But it's does surprising. It, does it change how you think about Monish Babai? Or do we, we're still missing quite a bit of context, I think. Yeah, there is actually, no context, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah there is that, that, I guess that is true. It's really none. Ac- the only yeah, context actually, is the screen with all the all the holdings is pretty much it. 
Um, actually, one of the other things I was going to say, I don't want to speculate on names. I've seen a couple floating around, but we should probably wait till we get something more concrete. But um, supposedly Whatever. he bought Rose, 10 cent, Tom. We know he bought 10 cent. <laughs> no, I, was, I actually wasn't going to go there. I was going to go to Turkey. Um, maybe that's where Brad is trying to figure out what he's been buying. But supposedly Pabrai's bought at least a couple of things in Turkey recently outside of racist logistics. Um yeah, I've seen speculations that it's a particular, uh, I think, insurance company, but um, to be confirmed. <laughs> um, so maybe there's maybe there's money going there as well. I don't know. Here's here's an idea: uh, selling Baba and then moving it into the Hong Kong listed version of Alibaba. Uh, that'd be kind of kind of weird, but I don't think he's trying to hide. <laughs> that'd be kind of weird, uh, and you're not really getting any. You're not really getting much of a structural advantage because, like Tom, you've you've done some digging into this before. They're both the VIE structure, so you're not really avoiding many risks by moving from Baba to the Hong Kong version on nine nine eight eight. Uh, at least that's my understanding. So I, I don't think he would do that. Yeah, unless he's trying to lock in a loss and can buy the same thing or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, again, oh, yeah. Again, I think it's if um, what's the phrasing you sent through this morning, Jack? If it's if it's sufficiently identical, it doesn't count or something. I, don't, I yeah. think, I don't know what the IRS would do about this since it's on a totally different exchange and it's technically a different entity. Uh, yeah. I do wonder what they would say. <laughs> um, That'd be that, like selling selling Berkshire A to buy Berkshire B or something. Kind of, yeah, kind of. tax losses. Or better yet, like uh, something that's dual listed, buying something on the New York Stock Exchange and then selling it on, I don't know, the Amsterdam exchange or something. I, I don't know, something like that. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm no tax professional. None of us are. Yeah. Th- that would be some gaming for sure. <laughs> what if yeah. you sold to buy into Facebook? <laughs> we would have seen it. Then we would we've have seen- to rewrite on Facebook and we might get it in there. Would we have seen it if he did it after the cutoff? Oh, if, like, oh no, but if you, you sat on cash and then just waited till the next day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, when the company's that big, he's not going to be sneaky. And oh, no, no, no. If it shows in his 13, if he'll move the needle or something. <laughs> I, I can see him doing stuff like that, um, you know, like when he was pitching into a graph tech or something. Like maybe he didn't want to put on a starter position right at the end of the quarter because it's just, you know, like a two, three billion dollar market cap or something. But not Facebook. He's all in on uh, Floki Inu or whatever, <laughs> and and Shiba Inu as well. Diversified <laughs> yeah. crypto portfolio. Party like it's nineteen ninety nine. Only with blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the future. Yeah. Should we start taking some questions? Yeah, let's get some more questions in here. Have we had a Have we had a hundred yet, Jack, or not quite? I've I've I haven't been keeping too close of an eye on it, but it's been hovering in the 90s, which is, I, I don't know, it's maybe it's an ode, it's an, uh, um, a nod to Charlie Munger if we can sit up in the upper 90s or something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've been, um, this is a completely random aside, um, but I keep having this thing pop up on my, um, like on Facebook or something recently about um, when David Warner got out in the 90s for the first time with Commentator's Curse. Have you seen that, Frank? Um, oh, I briefly remember it, but not yeah. not much. No, we we don't want to we don't want to do that to the chat. 
Um, for anyone, for anyone that doesn't know, David Warner is an Australian cricket player, and he was about to get a century, which is a hundred runs in, in cricket for for a batsman. I'm sure Jack knows all about it. Uh, I'm already Jack will know now. all about this. We, and, we have a lot um, of we have a lot of post uh, post show <laughs> discussions, and for like a couple of weeks there, we were talking about a uh, cricket, yeah. and I was getting caught up to speed. <laughs> yeah, well, the commentator the commentator was like. Um, you know, David Warner's never been out in the 90s and he was on like 97 or something. And Shane Warne, who's probably like the best Australian bowler to have ever lived, was co-commentating and was just like, oh, my God, why did you say that? And then he got out next <laughs> ball on like 97 or 98. Yeah, you can't, you can't anyway. jinx. You can't jinx. Um, <laughs> let's see. The, the equivalent to that in baseball over here in the United States, um, we uh, – if someone's throwing a no hitter or, or a perfect game where, where the pitchers like hasn't given up a hit or anything, um, you can't say that. You can't say like, oh, he's throwing a no hitter or like, oh, wow, he hasn't allowed a hit. Yeah. Then you're going to jinx it. And uh, it, it'll, it'll surely go at some point within the next inning. You say that. Mm-hmm. It's funny, even during the game, the uh, players on the same team will not talk to the pitcher. They'll just like, they, they don't want to throw him off in any way. They'll just leave him in the corner and not talk to him. It's the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's enough trivia. <laughs> um, Tom, uh, what? Ze- Go ahead. Uh, just quickly, New Zealand versus Australia in the 2020 World Cup final on Monday. That's intense. Mm. <laughs> Do we have some bad blood in this room right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out on Monday. <laughs> um, Tom, Tom, I'll uh, pick a couple questions here. Why don't you tell yeah. everyone why you have such a glorious mustache on a on, on those on those lips oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it's quite good looking isn't it um yeah it's uh we're raising money for the movember foundation for anyone that doesn't know so uh we're actually up to 13 we had a we had a late comer to the to the margin of shave tea team uh so there's 13 of us who had a shave on the first november and we're growing our glorious mustache to uh, raise some money for Movember Foundation, which supports men's mental health, suicide prevention, and also uh, the two male anti cancers. So, um, yeah, this would have produced 13 days in, but we've still got a while to go. So, um, if you want to contribute to the cause at all, um, just go to any of my recent videos after this stream, of course. Don't disappear yet. We're trying to get to 100. Um, and then you yeah. should see a Movember link through the description of all my videos. Maybe that's why Monish sold. Baba is to contribute to Tom's contribute. fund. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, going right. to get a forty million dollar donation. Influx. Yeah, that would get us to the target. I think. Just. <laughs> that would be something. Um, everyone is just, uh, and everyone's all hyped about this. Uh... We've um. Got spammed a question about Opfire. Has anyone looked at Opfire? I listened to Bill Brewster's podcast, but that's all I know. I was looking at it um, before the SPAC kind of happened. Um, I forget what it was as a SPAC. I don't know the ticket name then, but um, it it was semi-interesting comparing it to, I forget the nearest competitor now, Upstart and some of the multiples that they trade up. Um. Oh, it's about my shirt too. <laughs> Thanks, Garth Investor. Thank and you. And he's a he's a Facebook holder too, so it's good to see him in here. He probably should have been on talking about it, actually knowing a bit more than we do. Wait a second, what's what's the A? It's not Australian. 
That's I thought that Australian was a. Buildings. I thought that was a. What's the symbol for Australian? It's not just A, is it? It's usually it's usually AU, but it comes up on YouTube as an A. I got I was a Um, little confused there. Like, what is this? It's it's, it's still called dollars, though. It's not like pounds or. Oh no no no! You know, I mean, like, what's this? Like the symbol for like AU? Yeah, Yeah, I know. I know it's. (laughs) I know you don't deal with like uh, seashells or something down there. (laughs) Uh, um, Because we're diversifying our basket of currencies, we're up to I think five now that we've received for super chats. I'd we like need some Dokish leader next. Yeah, yeah, yeah we I was need gonna say that. We'll, we'll flick that off to Brad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but thank you, Garp. My man. I had a quite. I had a good. Wait, where was it? Nine. Sorry, where where did we get to on Opfire just then, Frank? Oh yeah. So in comparison to Upstart, it was very cheap. Like I think, if you th- think that it deserves the same multiples as Upstart, it would have like over a hundred percent upside. Um, and that was kind of one of the main appeals to it. And then from briefly following and just hearing um, Bill Brewster talk about it, something happened during the when it actually went public under Opfire when the SPAC kind of went ahead, and it dropped in share price fairly significant, significantly. I haven't looked at the share price specifically, but um, it might be an interesting opportunity. It's got some good management team behind it. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's now the guy's name now. It's in the Carl Seminara. That's the guy, yeah, Carl Seminara. But he's yeah. not running it. There's a there's a guy, relatively young guy, who's CEO that was on Brewster's podcast, I think. Yeah, he doesn't run the business. He just funded the SPAC. Yeah. But they basically do, uh, I don't exactly know how to describe it, almost like hard money loans and that sort of stuff, right? Very low quality loans to people with bad kind of track records. So more risky, small loans personal consumer lines, I think so. Yeah. Hard money would typically refer more to the investment side. That's more like uh, payday loans. um, Yeah. Where, where it's like short term, almost predatory. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Which is what they covered a lot on Bill Brewster's podcast. It does seem kind of like a very sharky type industry, but they they seem to be, have some genuinely good initiatives, like um, something that came up. And I know this is why Bill, I think, I think he made an investment in the, in the company and said it, lock that money up for 12 months when he had the CEO on. Um, and he just kind of said, like, it's it's really expensive to be poor in the US, like to start <laughs> establishing good credit and just kind yeah. of getting up and going is, is difficult. And that's kind of the space I think Opfire trying to, that's the, that's the issue they're trying to solve. Well, it's it's a little difficult when combined with the fact that the price of everything goes up a few percent per year or many percent per year as we're in right now. Super shit. Oh, goodness gracious. Hey. Oh, Lazy investor. We interrupt. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this question from Lazy Investor. How do you guys view gurus <laughs> talking their book versus CEOs talking up their companies? Uh, one is good, and one is well. And no, I guess they're both. You wouldn't want a CEO talking down the company, so you know. Of course, you would. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a weird universe, perhaps. Uh, I want a CEO to be honest. I don't really want anyone to be honest. I think that's what really matters. But uh, I think some of it's to be expected that they're going to be selling the business at least a little bit because um, you want people to get have good energy about the business. You wouldn't want them to be all negative all the time. Uh, mm. And if you mean by guru, someone who's like is kind of more of a, a like a shyster or, you know, someone who's not like really a, a, a 
honest or or whatever um and isn't really an expert then yeah that could be it's like babra talking about races like in every talk for the last one, <laughs> 15 20 talks okay well sure so i think that's what he means like we're yeah, talking in the book i think that like, makes more yeah that makes more babra sense but like one third of the company and he's aggressively promoting it i think that's what he means Yeah, so in that sense I guess both can be problematic. You don't want yeah. to over promotional CEO running a company. Um and admittedly Kelly Partners group kind of toes that line. It's Brett Kelly sometimes comes across as over promotional, particularly towards the value investor, which he kind of pushes back on to say he's trying to build this quality shareholder base investing for the long term. Um but yeah, I think you should be concerned if a ceo is very promotional and overly optimistic you want someone that's kind of being realistic and honest with you as much as possible and gurus promoting companies that they own i don't know how much they could get in trouble for that i guess they they have to be careful with what they say i know some people are more careful about promoting these companies particularly when they're smaller micro cap companies so races could be one that most bright could potentially get in trouble from I don't know the laws or anything around it but um yeah probably not a great thing if they're really pushing it but he doesn't kind of push in the sense of telling people to go and buy it but he just loves the company and talks about it so <laughs> yeah I, I think as I think as long as it's um yeah coming out of kind of the way Pabri often does sort of explaining it from an investment perspective and why he liked it um I I don't mind that if you're saying you know um if you're one of these youtubers that says the stocks at 10x i just put 100,000 in it last <laughs> night kind of thing yeah. that that's um probably over the line <coughs> jeremy's funny but <coughs> education or uh, <laughs> no. tesla's oh, going to have a pe of 70 10 years from now and it's like <laughs> the whole world economy you know that sort of thing <laughs> um at, i think <clears throat> ultimately yeah so Yes, uh lazy investor said that guru refers to super investor. So my apologies there. I misunderstood it first. Um but yeah, I think as long as you're being honest and you're not just blind and and you're just being clearly exaggerating your position, then yeah, I I think it's okay. Um it's to be expected frankly because that's the incentive. <laughs> If you own the holding, you don't want people to think negatively of it, but uh you should also be honest with yourself when you're talking about a position or thinking about a position because there's obviously negatives too. And I was just thinking about uh guys who overcomplicate this like Bill Ackman <laughs> who go around uh saying one thing, maybe doing another and uh whether it's intentional or not, it looks terrible. Um so it, it just just be it might be best just to be quiet about your holdings. You you have your disclosures under 13F so you have to make in the US. Call it a day. No need to go around pitching. um because it's just it rarely is going to help you uh, in the long in the long run I would think. And I guess in Prabhu's case typically he's trying to do more of like a educational sort of lens to it which I can appreciate uh but when you're just going on to CNBC and pumping a stock it's kind of like okay what are you really doing? I think um, even another example of this could be like a super investor like say Chris Plumstrand like and say Warren Buffett is the CEO of Berkshire like they both at least understand the business probably in maybe not the same degree but very high degree compared to other people so when you look at bloomstrand as a super investor buffett as a ceo you can kind of gauge you know when is 
sort of works out cheap or when it's a good time to kind of get into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actions always speak louder than words. So when you got Berkshire buying back tons of share shares, they can say whatever they want, but uh, look what you're doing with the money, money, money talks too. So um, like a super investor here. with high conviction probably could be like, probably has the same perspective as a CEO, a good CEO. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Warren Buffett is both of these things, right? And he's, um, yeah. he's always, well, I wouldn't say he's talking down his stock, but um, he certainly tries very hard not to ever hype it up. Like yeah. when they first issued the B shares back in uh, maybe the 90s or early 2000s, they literally said when they issued the B shares, like uh, myself and Charlie would not be buying it at current prices, but we're just trying to get rid of these stupid hedge funds that, you know, set up vehicles where small investors can buy a chunk in the hedge fund, which owns A shares, because, you know, that was a barrier to entry for a lot of small investors. That's why the B shares are even a thing. Um, (laughs) But yeah, they're literally like, like, we wouldn't buy it. We're just trying to solve this issue. (laughs) Sell to the the, the crack dealers selling crack to the people who just need their shares. (laughs) Um, uh, We've got a question here from you, (laughs) as in Y-E-W. Monish would be a great would be great in an environment where the money printer was not going burr, but he is struggling in a world where M two money supply is over ten percent per year. Uh, this is an interesting comment, I think, on value investing in general. In like a, I guess, a bullish environment where prices go up more often than not. Because uh, I, I forget who's complained about this recently that like. Uh, it was one of the great value investors out there is just complained that there, there haven't been a lot of opportunities because the government doesn't want to let things crash and people don't want things to crash. So you get massive action from things like central banks to try and prop things up. And that eliminates some opportunities. Uh, for example, the flash crash in March was largely negated thanks to all the government spending and everything. Uh, I wouldn't say it was negated, but it, it prices recovered pretty quickly. So you missed your opportunity on Facebook because it only lasted for a week. You know, it's not as though it stayed down there for months. Maybe you had a while to build a position there. You can say that for a lot of different things. Um, So is this sort of environment just like not conducive for good value investing? And I I would tend to say no, because value investing is kind of like a, I don't want to say eternal and that you're really just trying to buy something cheaper than what you think it's worth, which should work in any environment. Theoretically, you just factor this in. Yeah. I think, um, <clears throat> I think the, maybe the money supply kind of comes into this a little bit, but the real thing is like, how does traditional style value investing work in a low interest rate environment? I would say is the real question. Like if you're traditionally, you know, doing a discount of cash flow or something like, right. And you're, discounting all of the companies that exist in the stock market um, at a certain rate and then interest rates go down and you discount all those companies at a slightly lower rate, it's going to be the growthier companies that end up having a more beneficial valuation from that. It's just how discounted cash flows work. Those back-end cash flows are worth more money if your discount rate's lower. So I think it's probably more a result of interest rates staying pinned really low, probably much longer than anyone ever anticipated coming out of the financial crisis. And when you've got a Monish Pabri that traditionally at least has invested in these $0.50 cent dollar relatively slow-growing companies where he's just trying to you know, buy something for for $0.50 cents on the dollar, sell it at $0.90, cents, rinse and repeat, um, maybe that doesn't work so well. And I think he's probably 
you know, started to make the transition to growthier stuff in the last year or so. It's a fair take. You know, I think something like Zillow wouldn't even have happened if there wasn't so much cheap money kind of going oh, around yeah. the system. Like interest rates have been too low for too long. Like, <laughs> Yeah. That's just that you get misallocations of resources more often in, in this sort of environment where just money is being thrown around. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, show me the incentive, show me the outcome. Uh, the famous Charlie Munger uh, quote in that, you have a bunch of cheap money. You got to put it somewhere. You got to please investors. Got to do whatever. Pump your share value. So you're gonna. We should probably disclose that we don't have any hedge positions like Ackman. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, if, if things right. go down, we are all hit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think you're, it's not. It's not that that would go away if rates were higher. Of course, you're always going to have malinvestment, but I think it just increases in this sort of environment. Uh, to mm-hmm. what you're saying, Karan. Like SC says, long live long live the fifty cent dollar. I still <laughs> I still like that stuff. <laughs> and uh, and by the by the same token, if rates go back up, like there's some going to be some growthy stuff gets hit rather hard. That's yeah. just how the maths works. <laughs> it's a double edged sword. It's uh yeah, it's it's just hard to plan around it because it it could change on a whim. It could change many years from now, and you just you just yeah. got to battle through. And that's why like our mantra is just you got to try to buy great businesses at a decent price and. Hopefully the rest uh, takes care of itself, um, mm. but it it can be very frustrating, especially in the short term. You know, if yeah, interest rates go to like seven, eight percent, maybe Arc might start looking attractive. Like, who knows? <laughs> Arc might vaporize. It's it just like it, exactly it just might poof. be attractive. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't exist. <laughs> Fairy dust, as uh, Matthew McConaughey would say, of Wall Street. <laughs> Did you guys hear about that ETF that's betting against um, Arc? Like a, it's a new like, ETF like a, that someone's come up with that's just focused on betting against ARC. Just a short? Can't you just yep. short ARC directly yourself? Like, why do you need the fund I for it? <laughs> or, or does the fund, uh, does it short other things too? Gosh, mm-hmm. the, the out, maybe the, maybe you can't get a margin call if you do it through a fund or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I like the bury, who knows? I guess it, it does uh, shift the risk to other people, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. You could always just pump some crypto in the meantime. Should we get maybe one more question? Yeah, let's do it. There was a real quick one I can touch on before we jump into our last one about Curry Partners free cash flow. Oh, yeah, this one for you. Yeah. Um, So if you can find my write up around, I actually don't know, maybe through Twitter, you might be able to find my write up. I've kind of put an equation to kind of think about their true owner's earnings or an adjusted free cash flow, however you want to think of it. But roughly, just to give you an idea, about 60% of their free cash flow number is a more honest kind of owner's earnings, if you kind of want to think about it that way. But um, yeah, if you want to find the equation I use, it is in the write up somewhere. And they list owner's earnings in some of their presentations as well, right? Yeah, yeah, you could find it that way too, but I adjust that slightly too, but it would produce a similar number. Should we get a New Zealand housing market thought from Jack here? Not me. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, any thoughts uh, as a as a as a home shopper? Any thoughts uh, on the New Zealand housing market at the moment? Oh, uh, yeah, and specifically with retirement villages is interesting. Um 
Oh, yeah. So New Zealand housing market, like most places, is red hot. <laughs> yeah. It's not enough houses and lots of people decide they want to have a home office now and want bigger houses. And, and lots of dollars. Interest, Yeah, interest rates are nothing. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of the situation. Like you go to an open home and can barely get in the house. There's that many people looking at these things. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy out there. With, um, I think that's Somerset, Roman Healthcare and Oceania uh, are those three properties there. So they're all, yeah, New Zealand retirement village stocks. Um I would have to remind myself, I know uh, Joshua Wang on YouTube has done some videos on these companies, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to check the accounting. But there's some weird stuff I want to say that comes through in the earnings for those companies where they have almost like unrealized gains on property show up. And I, I don't want to misspeak exactly how that showed up, but I want to say there's some weird stuff and how you might want to view their earnings. Um so yeah, those I think all three of those companies, at least Somerset and Ryman, have done pretty well over the last few years, just riding the wave of property appreciation. Um, and I don't really have any doubt that there's going to be a increased need for senior housing moving forward. Like people are living longer, and uh, they're going to be in retirement longer, and you know, there's limited supply of actual houses for people to live in. So I have no no doubt that um, you know there's going to be a greater need for senior housing, but whether that turns into an actual reasonable compounded annual growth rate for the business is kind of another question. Has there been a lot, do you know, of investment into that space over the last decade? It's been pretty hot in the U S maybe to the Mm -hmm. point of overbuilding in certain areas. Um, and I wonder if that's the same. Yeah. Yeah, Big time. Um, I don't know if you want to, if you maybe even bring up Ryman healthcare on ticker, Jack, and just track, track what the equity's done over the last well, their book values done over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Jack's saying, yeah, they do include unrealized gains in their reports. Do you know what financial statement they're actually showing that on, Jack? Like, does that somehow flow through the profit and loss or do something weird there? Because that's kind of concerning if that's how that works. Um, that's like Berkshire's stock portfolio, how they have to run that through the income statement now, which makes no sense to me. But, um, yeah, there's been lots of money flowing into big um, – Big retirement village developments. Let's see. Uh, total assets way up. Um, yeah. So Ryman's been public for quite a long time. Can you blow that way out to like 20 years or something? I can go, yeah, almost. That'll let's, do. Let's see. Uh, and I guess just scroll to book value or something down a bit further. Yeah, where is that? Um, book uh, value for total, sure. Uh, just to, uh, tangible book value maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. How's that for a hockey stick? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. That's a lot. Could you could you throw the per share one next to that as well? I think that was right next to the. I don't know if they've done any dilution. Or I think if you select both, it'll um, it'll see whether one's growing faster than the other. Uh, It's it's so much smaller. It's so much smaller though. It wouldn't. It wouldn't really. They look about the Uh, same. Yeah. Can you get one on a? We're testing ticker here. Can you put a like second axis in there? Oh, There's no, that book value per share and then tangible book value per share. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess I'm I'm just trying to get a feel for if if the book value is growing faster than the book value per share, like if that's diluted. I guess we could just look at it. It looks two. like they haven't <laughs> you can just get the dilution on the income statement if you want. We're overthinking this. But anyway, there's been a flowing <laughs> into it. <laughs> that's the point of that story. <laughs> um, do you know have you looked into Rob Vanor much? I know 
he's an investor I follow and he does own a New Zealand something along the lines, some type of retirement village company or something. So I think it could be uh, the one we just pulled up actually, but Yeah, I know I know of Rob Vanell, but I didn't know he was in a um in a New Zealand stock at all. I'll see if I can um, find his portfolio while we're talking. Yeah, that'd be one worth looking at. There's actually, yeah, New Zealand's a bit of a strange place to invest because our stock market is tiny in terms of the number of companies. Um, we're not quite as littered with mining stocks and stuff as you are in Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, there's not many companies floating around and there's some pretty eye-watering valuations on many companies as well, kind of similar to the US, I suppose, in that way. Um, and we also don't have many... Well, there's no like New Zealand super investor that I know of that I would be willing to clone on investments or anything like that. Tom, you're the um, New Zealand super investor here. I, I'm not the yeah, that's super Tom. investor. That's investing um, with Tom. So yeah, Ryman Healthcare is. To... Oh, sorry, Ryman Healthcare is what he owns. Oh, that's that literally what? what we're just looking at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Do you know when he bought that? I think he's held it for a while, a few years at least. Anyway. And he's That's nearly his biggest position in his portfolio from memory. Interesting. I think it would be the biggest position for many New Zealanders if they've held it for a while too. It's gone up a lot. <laughs> and what is that? Um, it's up. It's gone from forty-four cents in <laughs> two thousand to fourteen dollars wow. forty today. Yep, there is a run. So that's about 19.4% compounded annual growth is about Rob Vanal's compounded growth in his portfolio. So there you go. Oh, there, yeah, all it takes is one. <laughs> well, in Ryman. That's not quite as crazy as the um, A2 chart used to look, but uh, that's come back a bit. Still looks Tom's insane. Just, Tom's just bragging about the only good New Zealand company at the moment. <laughs> Well, it's not that good right now. <laughs> um, oh, we've got a few decent companies. Um, Fish and Pike or Healthcare is another one. That trades oh, yeah. is something eye-watering. Eye um, uh, Zero is a New Zealand company, but much not like anymore. Pavlova, Australia type, stole that. <laughs> um, do, do a lot of funds flow into those big, the biggest companies in New Zealand, like, like I don't know, retirement funds, pension fund type stuff? Uh, do you get a lot of that um, in New Zealand? Know what? I'm just going to bring up my KiwiSaver fund and see what allocation they have to New Zealand because I they, suspect it's quite significant. Yeah, I'd imagine there'd be some sort of bias there, like towards the home, a home country stuff. bias. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in a similar way to like the US and probably every country that does something like this. Yeah. What have is this question? Yeah. So this. Is, yeah. So uh, this. So the KiwiSaver fund I'm in is is 21% New Zealand. Um, wow, well, yeah. So that's, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I don't know. We we don't have many public companies, so that's probably quite a bit of money flowing in there. But yeah, I don't know. It's that's the typical US 401k less than oh. 20% US. <laughs> oh no no no! You, <laughs> yeah, but, but you're Sorry. comparing it's but it is apples to oranges in that the US market is just so much larger. So you're going to get a yeah, more... But, but so is the fund flows from 401ks versus New Zealand uh, retirement accounts. I mean, yes. I don't know. You'd have to do yeah. the comparison like I, market I, cap versus Yeah, flows I'd, I'd imagine the ratio is probably greater with the New Zealand funds. But I'm totally guessing. I have no idea. I don't know. 
the thing with the U.S. is you get a lot more international inflows, so that that's probably going to offset any difference. Uh, curious, Kron, uh, you were saying? No, there's a good question from Shashi about bonds. You want to call bonds? Are any of us into buying bonds? <laughs> Not now. You're using QY. XYLD or QYLD? Uh, X for it's uh, that's that kind of is my replacement sort of income uh, besides real estate, of course. Um, X X yield XYLD is covered calls on the S and P five hundred, and that's kind of like that's a uh, like five percent of my portfolio, and that's like sort of my bond replacement. Granted, it has equity risk. If the S and P goes down, that's going to go down too, but it's going to limit the downside at least a little bit because you're selling covered calls off the top. So you're kind of locking in that that income there. Um, so that's that's kind of my replacement for bonds. As sick at that as sick as that is, <laughs> that's just the environment we're in with these insanely low yields. I'd probably I'd love to own bonds in a different time period. Yeah. I guess oh, like yeah. at current yeah. prices, there's no way I would go near them. It's return free um, risk. At the, really, that's how I look at it. In that particularly. As I get older and I'm trying to be more kind of defensive with my portfolio, right now I'm kind of taking on more risk than most people probably should. So I wouldn't go anywhere near bonds. It's just going to hurt my returns. But when I'm, say, 50 years old, I would like to own bonds as a probably a substantial part of my portfolio rather than maybe as a cash alternative or just a defensive thing to hold in the portfolio. But assuming yields are up. Yeah, assuming yields are up. But like, I'd have to be getting at least four to five percent or something, but yeah, there's no way I touch them at one point five or whatever it is at the moment. Yeah, I think even yeah. buying Berkshire right now it makes a lot more sense than buying bonds. At least they've got their buybacks, so you're getting a yield from that. They have a lot of cash, um, so that should limit some volatility. One would think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a that's actually a really good reason on why um, you know when I when I see people throw up. Shiller PE ratios or market cap to GDP or something like, and say the market's a bubble. Like, I'm not saying things are, are cheap or like, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying there's a bunch of no brainers lying around, but um, you're comparing, like you said before, apples with oranges. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a completely different time frame. It makes absolutely no sense to compare whole market valuations today versus the 80s or something when interest rates were. 15 percent or something at least at least Um, just riding everything on that one metric i think it's relevant to look at for sure but yeah you do have to keep in mind the money supply also just exploded so like you have to keep that in mind too it's going to distort things in the short term and we're seeing some of this kind of settle now companies raising prices inflation is riding up and that's probably going to bring this down a bit um pe ratios down not necessarily because prices are decreasing but because earnings are increasing to catch up with inflation. You know, you, you could easily see a lot of that over this next these next few years. Honestly, bonds yeah. are really good to speculate at the moment. Like if you're looking at um, sort of a trade opportunity, like getting into long-term bonds is quite decent using TLT. Not mm-hmm. at the moment, but obviously there are times yeah, where it makes sense. Extremely volatile. <laughs> yeah. I was in um, it like in 2019 Feb. So <laughs> getting into the crash, I kind of was trading bonds a bit <laughs> and uh, oh it was God. great at that point. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Give years. laughs> bond um, trader. Yeah. That, isn't that, um, doesn't Buffett have only like one employee that actually does any investing besides, I guess, Ted and Todd these days. And it was like a bond trader. Is it secretly Quran working? working <laughs> <under the bottom? laughs> 
<laughs> could be. Um, PLT just, makes sense once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just one other thing quickly on this topic. Um, like Karan, you were getting out there with Berkshire. I think a lot of people are viewing companies like Bond Alternatives at the moment. <laughs> and that's, I think, the reason that, you know, at least, I mean, who knows where these things will be 20 years from today or whatever. But, you know, companies that people view as kind of indestructible, like Visa and MasterCard and that sort of thing, trade at kind of eye-watering valuations and Coca-Cola and Procter & Gamble. And, yeah. you know, I, 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 think, I think people <laughs> just kind of view these as um, as bond alternatives and are happy to earn kind of lower yields. <laughs> One for the half-eaten pizza. <laughs> yeah. that's a good yeah. one yeah after Thanks. dinner better have two dollars for the rest of us as well i'm hating that he, he's he uh he, he donated to quran last uh last week as well <laughs> he said it was only for quran i when can you, finally we, get a fruit pizza now yes yeah yeah we, we can set up his partnership draw to be uh to be that all after dinner investor uh I think Jason has a crush on Quran. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can't really blame him, of course, but uh, we we appreciated it. We appreciated it uh, Mm -hmm. in any event, Jason. Um, All right, now how about a final question, maybe? Uh, Yeah, let's do it. hmm. We got people going with the bonds a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, there was one more about gonna... holding. There was one about holding periods a while back. Oh Super yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that. Oh, we got hey, that. there we go. Now we're talking. Hey, hey, hey! Oh, look at him! Look at him! Double. Now down. we're talking. <laughs> look at this. Playing favorites. Wow. <laughs> that, that that's big time. So now he's got to double it again for for Tom or I, and then he's got to double it again for for the remaining person. <laughs> Jason <laughs> does not. A top yeah. dog. Jason does not understand compounding. That's going to hurt your wallet. Yeah, yeah. So. In the next week, he double it again. Well, thank you, Jason. We appreciate it. He's a fellow USC fan. He holds Barber. He holds Tencent. We're boys, me and Jason. Yeah, you guys. You guys. You just you just had lunch together today. <laughs> See each other regularly. Uh, but what was that question? It was a uh, oh, about like, um, holding, holding periods. Oh yeah. Oh, here it is. What are your average holding periods? Uh, well, it's frankly, I'm, I'm too young in my investing career to really give a good answer. But uh, I guess the goal is forever. But you know, when things change, that's when the investment would change. But I think going into any holding, most of the time, I'm thinking, all right, if all goes well, I'm holding this forever. But if something will eventually change, and then that would probably trigger some sort of sale. Or if valuations just go insane and it just makes sense to sell and pivot into something else. That's my stance on it. If I was, yeah, my longest possible holding period would be like eight years or something. I think that's about when I started investing. And it would probably be long because I started off just in index funds and I held them for ages. So it would make my average seem okay. But looking out into the future, the way I kind of think about it, if I'm looking at a mid cap or large cap, I'm looking at... (laughs) we've had a big drawdown there (laughs) thank thank you jason (laughs) thank you oh man (laughs) but yeah so looking at um, mid cap large cap or even mega cap company i'm kind of looking for a five-year time period just as i think the growth is limited for larger companies Um, with the smaller stuff i look at a 10-year holding period just as a guideline of how long i want the investment to do well 
Um, but of course, like Jack said, you want to hold it forever. You want to minimize those capital gains taxes and stuff over time, keep the compound effect flowing. So as long as it can generate a 15% return each year, that's my goal. I'll hold it for hopefully ever. Yeah, I think the only time I'd want to sell like quicker would be if there's just this great opportunity and it makes sense to rotate, but then you're still keeping it invested. You know, it's not as though you're liquidating totally. It's more of like, oh, for example, like if I came across this real estate deal that was just amazing, like 100% return in, in a month, you know, or, or, you know, just something great. And it made sense to pivot into that, then sure. Um, but that's going to be rare anyways. Hey, I don't what know is what AED is, but <laughs> it looks impressive though. <laughs> UAE currency. Thank you. Uh, is it really? Oh, how, much, how much is that, Karan? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, six dollars eighty-one six, US. Six dollars, six, yeah. six, seven. Okay. Nice. Thank That's you, guy. He just he just upped after dinner is, investor and become the top donor. Is that Shashi, um, the winner of the joke contest? Um, yes, yeah, it is. Yes. I'm going to be meeting him probably in the next week or so. Oh, that's uh, cool. Look at the mug. Look yeah. at this small world. <laughs> Let's go. That's, Jason's that's, jealous. Yeah, that's neat. Thank you, Shashi, and thank you for your consistent support. We always appreciate it. Yeah. All right, I think it's about time to wrap it up. We're an hour and a half, but hey, it's only 10 p.m. for me now. It's not. Freaking eleven fifteen, like <laughs> like it usually is. So, uh, but we're uh, shifting next week, right? Yeah, we're, we're gonna shift right back to it, uh, uh. most likely. Yeah, but hey, whatever. <laughs> what are you gonna do? I'm used to that, I suppose. Um, uh, yeah. With that, if you guys enjoyed this episode, or even if you just like kind of a little bit enjoyed it, maybe not that much, we'd still very much appreciate it if you guys smashed the like button or tickled it. Tickle it blue, like, like I said earlier. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, it helps the channel out a ton. And also subscribing so you don't miss next week's episode and the many weeks after that. We're at 30 now. Next week will be 31, and we'll keep going from there. We're compounding this uh, this uh, punch card investing train. And we've got all the good stuff in the description below. We have our Discord group. We have our uh our share site link showing our portfolio. Oh my goodness gracious guys. You just ruined to, the outro. Trying to close. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, my man. It's an NZDS. Yes. One of Tom's boys. We're, we're keeping it diverse here with our uh, Thank currency you, Dave. basket. We've got some Australians, some New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. Some <from> the UAE. <laughs> we, got, we got the, uh, um, I think we got Malaya last time, right? Or, um, or we, what did we get last? Uh, we got nah, some. Was, was it Malaysian? No. Was it Malaysian we're or gonna, uh, what was it? <laughs> we're yeah. going to need to track our currencies here. And if you need to track your own currencies in your portfolio, you can use <laughs> sharesite.com forward slash punch card investing. Smooth. Yes. Smooth. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Malaysian. Uh, um, ring it, um, if I recall correctly. Anyways. Uh, yeah, hey, oh, okay. money is flowing. <laughs> after, after dinner investor has been like putting out these dollar bills. He <laughs> wants Jack to like the appetizer, the starters, the mains, the dessert, like everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, yeah, we're, now we're, we're now we're, nightcap now. Yeah, after dinner coffee now, <laughs> like getting, getting everything. Um, where were we? We we got the link pitch. We got <laughs> the Discord. The Discord. Uh, was that it? Smash next week. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm going to just start talking more slowly so, so we can get more from uh, After Dinner Investor. He says it was a good week. So, hey, he, he's letting it rain right now. We appreciate that. Uh, all right. I got nothing else. So I'll see everyone next week. See you.